Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. I hope your summer is off to a good start. It feels good to be getting back to normal, to going out to restaurants, maybe catching a ball game, maybe doing a little traveling. I know a lot of us have missed the opportunity to get on a plane and go somewhere over the past year. A lot of frequent flyers have had another concern. I've read that so many are concerned that they're going to lose their elite status. I read one travel article where this lady said that she felt like she had sort of reached uh, adult rite of passage when she reached medallion status, and that happened just before the pandemic hit. So she was very concerned about how she would lose her status if she couldn't fly. She said it was sort of like, uh, she felt like it was like buying a house, sort of that, that kind of achievement. Elite status is something that frequent flyers love. We love to get on the plane early, uh, to enjoy a beverage while everyone else trudges by us, going to the back of the plane, looking for an overhead bin to place their luggage. There's no doubt that it's more convenient to fly up front. There's no doubt that boarding the plane early is great. But I also think there's a little something else going on. I think if truth be told, we just like that feeling of being at the front of the line. We like the feeling that we have status. Well, that's what we're gonna talk about this morning, elite status, but not elite status at the airport. We're gonna be talking about elite status in the kingdom of heaven. This morning, we're starting a new series and we're gonna be focusing on the parables. Jesus told over 50 parables. And as I've read them through the years, I've noticed that he's not only trying to convey information or answer questions, but I think he's trying to help us to think in a different way. And that's what we're gonna try to do this morning is think in a different way. You know, Jesus was a master storyteller and any communicator will tell you the power of the story. We quickly forget information, we quickly uh, forget data, but we remember a powerful story. So this morning, let's begin by hearing the master storyteller tell us a powerful story about the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon, about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Now this parable takes place in the book of Matthew just after Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. 
If you remember that story, the rich young ruler had asked Jesus what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus told him to be perfect, he needed to sell his belongings and follow him. Well, this of course astonished everyone and the story goes that the rich young ruler went away sad. Jesus said that it is easy, easier to get a camel through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. And then afterwards, he followed up with this parable of the workers in the vineyard. We've heard how it began, now let's hear how it ends. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Well, as parents, one of the first things that we hear children say is no fair. And it's usually accompanied by a scowl like this little girl. It usually happens when they find out that a sibling or a friend got something that they liked better than what they got, or they feel like they didn't maybe get what they deserved. Well, that's sort of how the workers in the vineyard feel, no fair. And I think we can relate to them because they had worked all day and we can see how they would feel like they felt. I mean, we can imagine that they had worked all day and they were expecting more. They were expecting something else. However, the kingdom of heaven is not built on fairness. It's built on grace. It's what Philip Yancey calls the scandalous mathematics of grace, a grace that's hard for us to understand because our concept of fairness is always built on how we see ourselves in comparison to others. If you think about the airport, what would happen at the gate if suddenly they announced, today we are going to board zone three first? Well, the million milers would be up in arms. They would go to the desk and they would say, this isn't fair, we've earned our spot. These people don't even, they don't even have a special bag tag and now you're letting them board with us. The million milers would be upset because they live in the kingdom of comparison, a world built on comparison where my status is judged by how I compare with others. I'm satisfied with my salary at work until I find out that a coworker is making more. I had a great weekend until I see my friend's Instagram feed. We love our house until we go visit our neighbor and we see their new kitchen. We were happy to get 
any COVID vaccine until someone smugly says, well, we got the Pfizer. I've had an iPhone for four years and have had no problems with it. Everything was going fine. And I went to my son's college graduation with my daughter and she took these amazing pictures with her new phone. And as soon as I saw them, I was like, I've got to have one of those. So within 24 hours, I had gone out and bought a phone with an even better camera than hers. That's how it works in the kingdom of this world. We live in a kingdom that is guided by the sickness of comparison. We constantly compare ourselves to one another. We have a hard time understanding this concept of grace. Even though our whole system of faith is built on it, we know that God loves us, that uh, grace is a free gift that we can't earn. But down deep in our heart, I think we sometimes think, well, maybe I sort of deserve it, especially when you compare me to the bad people. We are basing our ideas on comparison and not on God's love. Frederick Beatner writes that we are prepared for a God who strikes hard bargains, but not for a God who gives as much for an hour's work as for a day's. The kingdom of this world is a meritocracy. The kingdom of this world is based on comparison with others. And when we don't understand God's generosity, then it's hard for us to reflect that generosity. I regularly chat with people about how we can help the poor or how we can bring justice to people. And one of the things I often hear is people are concerned that we not help someone who they don't believe deserves it. Well, the truth is none of us deserve it. We only have what we have through the grace of God. None of the wor workers in the vineyard came because they deserved it. They came because the owner went out and found them. He reached out to them. He hired them and not the other way around. Well, if we have trouble with this idea of grace, we have even more trouble with the way the parable ends when Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first. We have trouble with that because honestly, most of us feel like we're sort of near the front of the line already. We would like it better maybe if Jesus has ended by saying the first will remain first and let's all pray that those at the rear can catch up. It's so odd to hear a circumstance where someone at the front of the line puts themselves in harm's way for those at the end of the line. Well, since today is Janu June the 6th, I thought I would uh, share this story that I think illustrates what I'm talking about. 77 years ago today, Brigadier General Theodore Roosevelt, the son of Teddy Roosevelt, became the oldest person to land on the beach at D-Day. He was 57 years old. He uh, walked with a cane because he had arthritis. He uh, had a heart condition. He had tried over and over to gain permission 
to be able to land with the troops because he felt that it would give them confidence to see him there with them. So he was finally granted permission and when his boat landed, they were a thousand yards off course. They were a thousand yards down the beach in the wrong place. He famously said, well, we'll just start the war from here. And he stood on the beach encouraging his young frightened soldiers as they landed. They said that the Germans were befuddled by this man who kept walking back and forth on a cane encouraging the troops. His Medal of Honor citation would later read, his valor, courage, and presence in the very front of the attack and his complete unconcern at being under heavy fire inspired the troops to heights of enthusiasm and self-sacrifice. Five weeks later, he died in France of a heart attack and he's buried here at the American Cemetery at Normandy. You know, there is something about someone who will give up their own life for others, who will sacrifice someone who is at the front and will voluntarily go to the back. You know, Jesus didn't just say the first will be last and the last will be first, but he modeled that concept. Though he was by nature God, he did not consider equality with God as a prize to be displayed, but he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus modeled what it means to be a servant. When people see our life, what do they say? Do they say the kingdom of God is like that? Well, we think that's what we want people to say. We want people to see us and say, that gives me a little picture of the kingdom of God. So how does that happen? Well, I think that it begins by embracing a life of gratitude. You know, at Peachtree, one of the ways that we measure if someone is growing as a follower of Christ is, are they becoming more grateful? Do they seem more grateful or do they seem like they sort of think that they already deserve it? Gratitude is essential for the life of the follower of Christ. To know that all we have is a gift of God's grace, that God saw us in the market. He came to us. He brought us in. Everything flows from grace. Even when we were aimless and hopeless, he brought us in and invited us to join him in the restoration of all things. We need to have that realization that we need God's grace and live a life of gratitude. Tim Keller said the gospel is we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. And at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We have to come to a point where we understand that we have not earned what we have. It was earned by Jesus on the cross. And so we live a life of gratitude. Now, if we are able to embrace a life of gratitude, then we need to move on to release a life of comparison. We live in a world 
where everything is built on comparison, a world of consumerism. It's, it's the fuel for our old, whole system. It is an exhausting way to live. It damages our relationships and it robs us of joy as we're constantly trying to see how we stack up to those around us. It's hard to love someone when you want their car or you want their kitchen or you want their beach house. And I do want some of your beach houses. But a life of comparison is not the way to live because what happens is these things, they become an obsession for us. They become an idol for us. And we take things that are good in and of themselves and we make them an idol. An illustration would be our children's education. We want our children to have a great education. But if truth be told, sometimes we probably want them to go to a certain school just to keep up with our friends. And pastors, pastors aren't immune from this. I've been to plenty of pastors' conferences, and I can tell you there's quite a bit of comparison going around there too. It's an exhausting treadmill, the life of comparison. Philip Yancey said, grace is not about finishing last or first. It's about not counting. The kingdom of grace is not a kingdom of counting and comparison. Now, if we're able to embrace a life of, of gratitude, if we're able to release a life of comparison, then we can cultivate a life of compassion. One of the things that we notice about the owner is he keeps going back to the market over and over. He goes four times. And if we know anything about the first century world, we would know that the day laborers, the people who were standing in the market uh, needing work were desperate people. Uh, they would literally have to work to eat. And we can also imagine that as the day went along, the people that were left were the least desirable. They were the people that knew that they were in need of someone's grace if they were gonna have an opportunity to work and to eat. But the owner keeps going back time and a time again. We remember how the parable started when it said the owner went out. Our God keeps going out. He keeps going to the marketplace and he wants us to be marketplace kind of people that keep going out, caring for those that are desperate, caring for those that are standing against their back against the wall in a market. The people that Howard Thurman described when he said the masses of men live with their backs constantly against the wall. They are the poor, the disinherited, and the dispossessed. The kingdom of heaven is always tilted toward those people, to those people who have their back against the wall and are waiting on a touch of grace. And those of us that see ourselves at the front of the line should always keep that in mind. You know, when I think of this parable, when I think of this parable of the vineyard, I don't really think of a vineyard. I actually think of a brick kiln. I don't know if any of you have ever had the opportunity to see a brick kiln 
in the developing world, but it is a hot, brutal existence where people work all day long making bricks. A few years ago, I was in Pakistan, and as we were driving through a rural area, we stopped at a brick kiln where men were working. We were told that most of the people working in this brick kiln are Christians because they have the lowest status in that society. They earn their living by cleaning public toilets and making bricks and other menial tasks. As we walked around, I saw this man making bricks and I stopped and watched him and I, I learned that he was blind. And as, as I sat and watched him make those bricks, I just thought, what goes through his mind all day, every day, as he squats in the heat making bricks? I self-consciously uh, took out my phone and I snapped this picture because I wanted to remember this scene, to remember this man. And as I looked at his hands and he was making these bricks and the mud on his hand, and I looked at my hands holding this expensive iPhone, it made me think it's not hard to imagine if the first or last and the last or first where I would stack up in this equation. It made me have compassion for this man and also gratitude that God has even included me in the scandalous mathematics of grace. You know, we want to be a kingdom of grace. We want to be a part of a kingdom that's different from this world. We want to be a church community that lives with a sense of gratitude. We want to be people that live a life not comparing ourselves to others, but comparing ourselves to Christ. And we want to be a community that reaches out in compassion to love and serve our neighbor. Let's be that kind of community. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you saw us when we were standing with our backs against the wall, that you saw us before we ever recognized you and you chose us. And so Lord, we pray that uh, we will embrace that generosity that you have given us. We will know that it comes from you and that we will in turn reflect that generosity to others with our lives. In Christ our name pray, amen.